Thank you for coming to Equipping Hour. This is our third part in our In Him series, celebrating our union with Christ and, Lord willing, leading to your joy and confidence and loving being His child. Um, we've been looking at the blessings we have with union with Christ. In your notes there, I put a, a little uh, a summary there of what we've been talking about. I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, time reviewing. There's a couple recommended resources there. The first is the easiest and most accessible. It's a thrilling little book. The second one is a little bit more work, but I think that all of you could read it without any difficulty. It just it's just a li- little chunkier. Um, We've been talking about union with Christ, and uh, that is what in him is. It's being united to him. We talked about how Christ is a representative, the strange phrase mystically, but systematic theologies use it, not because we've got some crystals glowing, um, but because it's like too much for words to, 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 to really do much better than to say, ah, it's a mystical union. And, uh, and that is because of God's spirit uniting us to Christ in his death and resurrection, even in his reign, sitting with him, which is shocking. Um, we talked about how that union is ongoing, that we can draw from him the resources we need to live a life pleasing pleasing to the Lord. We talked about some, uh, some other uh, parts of being of that living union with Christ, and also eternally, that we were chosen in him before the, before the creation of the world. And uh, we will be in him even after death. Uh, waiting for his return and thinking about it because he's a representative. There's at least some ways in which we will always have union with Christ. Well, one of the um, aspects of our union with Christ we're going to celebrate is our justification, and our justification is in Christ. And um, um, before, and just in case I don't have time later, I uh, put some additional reading on there for you, some homework for you, and really it's, it's just fun. It's just fun. There are, uh, um, on that second page, uh, I copied from some catechisms. There's from the Heidelberg Catechism, from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And you'll see the kinds of things that we're talking about are historic. And the Heidelberg Catechism is from 1563. And, uh, and so, if you just want to kind of like take a little chunk and meditate on, I think that you'll find them refreshing. You may find them just a tad challenging, too. I would love to have dialogue. If there's some phrases that you're like, I don't, I don't totally get this, it, it, would, it, it would be fun to talk to you about that. There's also a cool hymn there um, by, 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 by Horatius Bonner, and that is on the back page just for you to meditate on. I'm going to start praying, and then we will uh, get to talking about justification. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this morning, and uh, we thank you what we have to look forward to even in this time together. Thank you, Father, that you have commanded the saints to gather, and uh, Lord, we want to be equipped. We want to be equipped in this hour um, to know you and the blessings of the gospel, Lord, but we don't want uh, just to be a reservoir where all that good news uh, gets, gets kind of stopped, Lord. We don't want it to uh, just be damned up with us, Lord. We want to be a conduit of your grace, Lord. And so please, Father, in this equipping time, uh, may uh, these doctrines that are so 
precious uh, be able to be explained, and so help us to be good, uh, good disciples from this time. Uh, thank you, Father, for those who are present here this morning, and uh, please, Lord, may you be glorified by uh, your word being understood and also by us encouraging one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking about, and again, if you didn't get notes, got them at the tables outside. I also have some copies. You, you can come up and grab one. Um, we are talking, talking about justification. So we're going to uh, start off with it real quickly and talk about the why, why of justification. Just give you a big overview picture of why justification is important. Now, maybe this is something that you already know, that you understand. If it is, I imagine your heart's going to be thrilled because you love this doctrine. If it's not something you understand, by God's grace, you'll understand it more, and your heart will be thrilled because you love this doctrine. So, um, the why of justification really begins uh, with, with, with that God is a law-giving God. Uh, God has given his law to his creatures, humanity, has broken God's law. That's true of man's representative Adam, and it's true of every human after Adam. Um, it's if you want to, if you're like, well, I'm not sure I'm a lawbreaker, um, you could read through Romans 1 through 3 and get a very convincing take in those first chapters that you indeed are a law keeper. You might be a nice law keeper or a very nasty law, law, law keeper, I mean, or, or a lawbreaker, either a nice lawbreaker or a very nasty lawbreaker, but either way, um, you have broken God's law. And because we've broken God's law, we know that we're going to be judged because God is judge. Psalm 9.8 says that God judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with, 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 with uprightness. And that's something that the Psalms say again and again. Scripture says again and again that God is judge. We're going to have to give an account to him. Um, Romans 2 verse 3 says, we know, uh, 2, 2 and 3, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, who break God's law, that his judgment is going to be right. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Whether you are an immoral lawbreaker or a moral lawbreaker, you're going to have to deal with God's judgment. All of us. Romans 2.11 says that, that God shows no partiality. doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home or not. Nahum 1.3 um, says that the Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. And so that leads us to a problem. We are all guilty. We are lawbreakers. Uh, God will not clear the guilty. He is a righteous judge. We're going to have to give an account to him. Leads us to a huge question. Uh, how can a legally sinner become legally innocent? We are lawbreakers. How can we ever become innocent? And that's where the doctrine of justification comes in. And this is just us doing this, kind of at a bird's eye view, to, to make sure we know what we're talking about. Um, it's God's answer is that he is a God who justifies. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Those who have faith in Christ, who can bring any charge against them? It is God who justifies. That's incredibly good news. We don't have to be afraid of, of what anyone could say about us. The, the, if they could say something that you have broken God's law, whether any human, we see Satan accusing Job, whether God himself would bring charges against you. Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? Good news, it's God who justifies. Romans 10 verses 3 and 4, incredible verses here. 
Romans 10, 3 and 4, incredible verses. Um, um, so it says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So describing the, the Jews there, they tried to establish their own righteousness, try to overcome God's law uh, law-keeping nature by coming up with their own righteousness. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to make myself righteous. Um, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. God's righteousness is only ours through faith. And it then says, Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone, everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, Christ is the end of the law. The law is not going to make us righteous. If you look at yourself today and say, I know I've broken God's law. I'm going to try really hard not to break any more laws. Well, we're going to see this morning that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So that's just the big picture, right? If you have no idea what justification is about, that's really basically what it's about. God has given us a law. We are guilty of breaking the law. God is just. How are we going to be made right with God? So that is what justification is. Now, I think that there's a couple terms we need to look at um, if, 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 if we're going to understand what justification is. And, and I mistakenly uh, uh, swapped those first uh, two terms. We're actually going to look at righteousness first and then justify. So if you've got, got paper notes there, go ahead and switch around. You can cross out justify and put in righteousness. You can cross out righteousness and put in justify. I'm not exactly sure how that happened. But just as we're talking about uh, being justified, a key term is righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is conforming to God's standard of right and wrong. And where does that standard of right and wrong come from? It comes from God because he's righteous. So righteousness is whatever God says, whatever he wants, whatever he desires, whatever he decrees, whatever he chooses, every decision, every impulse, every thought, every want God has ever had is completely righteous, completely good. Um, you can't shake a stick at it. There's nothing to criticize. God's righteousness is totally perfect. And then what God's law is, is a reflection of his righteousness. When God gives commands to his people, they are a reflection of who he is, of his righteousness. So that's, that's what God's righteousness is, what, what matches up with God. So God is the standard. Whatever matches up with God's standard is righteous. That's true of his laws. When we match up with God's laws, that's what righteousness is. And that's what human righteousness is. Us being righteous is meeting all the requirements of God's law, to have 100% uh, correlation between us and, and what God likes, what God decrees for humans, what God wants for humans, what God loves when he sees in humans. Us matching up 100% is us being righteous. Um, so it's conformity to whatever... God said, with nothing left and done, and no commands broken. So that's what we're talking about, what righteousness is. So then we've got to look, and, and I said on the notes, if you're following along, I, I switch around those, those two points there, of righteousness and justice. So righteousness first, now we're going to talk about justify. What does justify mean? And justify um, means, and Michael Barrett writes, and many say something like this, it's to declare or pronounce to be righteous. To declare or pronounce to be righteous. Okay? It's legal language. 
to justify. It's a legal statement. It's, 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 it's the language of courtrooms. It is to say that someone is innocent of the charges and they are not liable for punishment. So when someone is declared to be righteous, when the judge says, I justify you, I declare you righteous, it means that they are free from any penalty. They're, they're, they're not going to have to pay a single penny. They're not going to put a, a single minute into jail. They're, they're, there's no penalty when they are declared righteous, when they're justified. Now, uh, here's an, an, an important quote by, by John Murray, a uh, theologian, okay, and, and he just wants to make sure here that justification is, is legally about someone's position before God's law and not what it makes someone, okay? We're going to learn in upcoming weeks about sanctification, how God makes us righteous. This is not about God making us righteous. This is about God declaring us righteous. So John Murray says, when we justify a person, we do not make that person good or, or, or upright. And we're going to see this in, a, in, in, in some scriptures. And Murray continues, when a judge justifies an accused person, he doesn't make that person an upright person. He simply declares that in his judgment, the person is not guilty of the accusation, but is upright in terms of the law relevant to the case. So a charge is brought against him. There's this law. And when a judge justifies someone, he doesn't make that person innocent. He says, well, no, I've looked at the evidence, and this person is innocent. So if you have been justified by Christ, and we're going to jump ahead, I know some of you are confident of that, that is incredibly good news. The judge looks at you and says, innocent. That's going to lead to some questions, because like, how is that possible? So, and I know if you're saved, you, 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 you would know how. Um, a, uh, so a, and so a, when someone is justified, it is declarative, right? It's a legal judgment, it, and it doesn't mean to make. And we're going to see this in the contrast between the way that we use two opposite words to justify someone or to condemn someone. When you justify someone, it doesn't make them righteous anymore. The condemning them makes them internally wicked, right? If I condemn Francis uh, for breaking a law, does that make him wicked? No, it's just it's already what he did. He already broke a law. Um, let's say he didn't, and let's say I, I'm a very bad judge, and someone paid me 100 bucks to condemn Francis. Does my condemning him make him wicked? No, it just means that I'm a wicked person, right? So condemning Francis doesn't make him wicked, and justifying him doesn't make him righteous. It's just a declaration of hopefully what is true if I'm a good judge. Okay? So, for example, Proverbs 17, 15, and, 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 and I'll read this to you. If you got your Bibles open, you can turn there. You can scroll there. Proverbs 17, 15, I think it makes the case for us. He who justifies the wicked, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty bad there. Justifying, I'm declaring righteous the wicked, or he who condemns the righteous, I'm declaring wicked the righteous, justify the wicked, condemn the righteous, are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Which is kind of wild, because we know that one of the, if, uh, if any of you have taken 
Mia, me, me, me up on it and started reading, uh, um, oh, 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 All of Grace by Spurgeon. I keep talking about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. The key verse there is that God justifies the ungodly. Well, this verse here is going to lead to some questions. If God justifies the ungodly, is he an abomination to the Lord? Of course not. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Anyways, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So here we see justifying the wicked, justifying the wicked doesn't mean he who makes a wicked person right. Because if you could do that, that would be awesome. Or if you can make a, a wicked person right, and that's what sanctification is, what God does, that's a glorious thing. Or he who condemning the righteous, if you could make a righteous person wicked, but, 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 but you can't do that, right? So this just makes clear in this verse that it is about legal judgment. And we also see this in Luke 7, 29. When all the people heard this and, and, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. And it's translated, they declared God just, because they don't want you to be confused when it says they justified God. But it's that same word there. They justified God. Whoa, how can you justify God? How can we make God righteous? Well, that's not what the word means. It declares that God's righteous. Okay? So justifying means to, to legally declare God is righteous. Or for him to legally declare you are righteous, which leads us to a huge questions because we know that we're all, we're all lawbreakers. So as uh, Murray says again, a judgment of God with respect to us. This is not about God being, being a, a, a surgeon, and, and John Murray uses this a picture, a surgeon that, 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 that goes in and cuts your heart of stone out and gives you a heart of flesh that, 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 that loves and know God. That's part of sanctification. That's part of regeneration. Okay? This is not about God doing that work, making you different. This, this, this is about God's judge work. Let's see. Maybe this will be a good pause. And we'll look at... at, at at a, uh, well, in Romans 8, 33 and 34, we see the same truth. Uh, Romans 8, 33 and 34, we'll probably come back to this again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. So there we see what is opposites. God who justifies, and that the opposite is condemned. Most of our questions about justify become clear when we see the opposite is to condemn. When God condemns someone, he doesn't make them wicked, right? And when God justifies someone, he doesn't make them righteous. It's a wonderful thing that God does that, and we're going to talk more about that. So that's our first two terms, righteousness and to justify. Are there any questions about those first two terms if you have questions, go ahead and raise a hand, and we'll do our best to answer them. Okay, we're going to go into the next term, which is 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 im, 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 impute. Excuse me. Okay, so what does this word to impute mean? And it is an important term. Maybe you've heard of the imputation of Christ's righteousness, okay? Or, or our sin being imputed to Christ's account. 
before we can kind of go forward, this word impute, it's good to know what this word means. So, to justify means to legally declare someone righteous, to impute. To impute means, and here's a bunch of kind of like synonym phrases, and in the New Testament, this this word means to, 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 to reason about something, to take something into account, to have an opinion of something, to keep a, men, a mental record, to charge something to an account. So it is an, an, an accounting word. And so when we're talking about imputing, it's God's accounting. It's two, and, 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 and there's two aspects of imputing or, or imputation we could think about. And one is God imputing our guilt to Christ's account. So there's the list of all the sins Isaiah will do in his life, every thought, every word, every action, and those are imputed to Christ's account. God doesn't consider me having done them, but sees Christ as having done them when it came time for him to take the punishment of my sin. My sins were imputed. He didn't do them, but they are accounted to his account. So God zeroes out my list of wrongs and adds them all, the billions and billions, to Christ's account when he's on the cross. So they're all taken from me and taken on by Christ. It's an accounting term. He zeroes out, and um, he kind of, in a sense, um, credits them. He credits them to Christ's account, which is horrifying, right? It's sad. Good news, but sad. Um, but then there's also God's imputing of Christ's righteousness to us. So there's a zeroing out of my account, but that would just mean I have zero. So there's also the imputing of Christ's righteousness to us where God takes Christ's righteous standard, his 100% obedience, and imputes that perfect record, that A+, plus, that 4.0, um, the highest 4.0. I don't think it's the highest anymore. Maybe it's like a 5.0 now. I'm not sure what kids get anymore. But that perfect, perfect, perfect record and puts it onto my account. That is what imputation does. Takes all of my failings and puts them onto Christ's account. And then God gives me Christ's perfect obedience. Wow. Now, right there, I think we've got enough gospel that we can just probably stop and just talk the next half hour about how wonderful it is. I'm going to plan some time so we can do that, but we're not going to stop yet. Um, there's another imputing that happens, and another imputing that happens is Adam's sin being imputed to us. When Adam's sin, it was counted to, to, to our account. Now, we've you know, added on a lifetime of sin after that because we are broken by the fall. Um, but, uh, so, so imputing is really kind of how God made humans to, to, to work. Excuse me. Um, here's a quote by Michael Barrett. God regarded Christ um, as guilt and dealt with him accordingly. And he regards us as righteous and deals with us accordingly. That's incredible. Christ, God regarded Christ as guilt and dealt with him accordingly with wrath. And he regards us as righteous and deals with us accordingly with only blessing and grace. I mean, really only blessing. It's grace that he does that. So I think this brings us 
trying to move along here to, to, to what the need for justification is. And so we're kind of circling back. We, we, we understand, oh, um, before I go back, let's make sure, are there any questions about that, that, that imputing word or imputation? Impute or imputation? Any questions on that word? So we got righteousness, justify, and, and imputation. There's going to be a quiz afterwards. No, just kidding. Okay, okay. So it's an accounting word. Consider, reckon. Okay, so then let's go on to, to the need for justification. And I don't think that we need to spend much time here um, because I think that you know you're, you're guilty. So God is inflexible concerning the law. He never acquits the guilty. He never punishes the innocent, except, right? Right, because Christ taking honor sin. But even then, there's, there's something amazing that happens there. Would, would God have punished Christ if he didn't take on our sin? No, he was perfectly obedient, right? So when I say God never punishes the innocent, if it weren't for God's eternal plan, I think, Pastor Joshua could, 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 I mean, I think if it weren't for God's eternal plan for Adam to represent man, for, for humanity to have some kind of corporateness to it, for humanity to be represented, then, then, then Christ could never take on our sin, right? Because, because he could never be punished in our place. How could one man represent Others. Well, that's how God made humanity. So God never punishes the innocent. Jesus would have not had our wrath if it weren't for God's accounting, if it weren't for God imputing our sin upon him. So I think, and I'm just, I'm brainstorming here as I'm talking, unfortunately, but, but like it's exciting, you know, so that when he puts our sin onto Jesus, it's our sin that was punished. Right? Because he would never punish a perfectly obedient man. And so that's incredible. When he acquits us and justification is not guilty, that's not because of our not being guilty, but it is because of the imputation. Because he gives us Christ's righteousness. He looks at us and says, why would I condemn him? He has a perfect record of obedience, legally. So cool. So that's so. This is why we need justification, though, because God never quits the guilty. He never punishes the innocent. What makes this whole thing possible is um, that God designed humans to be represented, and then because God is gracious, um, we know Romans six twenty three, or many of us do. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How incredible! Um, so the only hope that we have is for God to justify the sinner, to declare the guilty righteous, and that's impossible apart from God's grace. So we're going to have to, if we're going to ex escape that verdict of guilty, right? we're going to need a righteousness, but we know that all that we have is law-breaking, right? that all of our righteousness apart from Christ before him was all just filthy rags. It looked good. But there's, there's, there's nothing good in it. 
Those apart from God's grace, it was so sad. I was talking to, to, to someone on, on, on a plane, and she really hated um, a, a lot about the gospel. And, uh, but but she, she was, she'd done a ton of foster care. But what we know is that she had no righteousness in her. Um, we are going to need righteousness, and that righteousness is going to need to come from outside of ourselves. There's this great phrase, we need an alien righteousness. Don't think of, you know, the little things from, uh, from uh, oh, from Toy Story, you know. Uh, like the claw. Um, we need a righteousness that is given to us from outside of ourselves, and that is going to have to come from God. So we've already talked about what the need for justification is. Let's, let's look at the grounds, the grounds for justification. Um, let's see here. Sometimes I put so many quotes, I, I got to pick and choose. Okay, but, but, but uh, here's one by, 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 by John Murray again. So, man must condemn the wicked, and he may justify only the righteous. God justifies the wicked, and he does what no man may do. None of us is ever going to righteously be able to justify the wicked. Only God can do that. So this brings us how, right? Yet God is not unrighteous, Marie says. He's just when he justifies the ungodly. What is it that enables him to be just when he justifies sinners? Now, that's Murray, but I'm getting excited. I don't know if he'd be shaking his hands. But what is it that enables God to be just when he justifies sinners? And that's what we're going to ask now of this grounds of, of, of justification. I don't think I'll, 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 I'll go through all these verses, but I think uh, to, to, together it becomes clear. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. And that is what God does. He justifies the, un, the, un, the ungodly. Um, God does this, Michael Bear says, not by changing the rules, right? It isn't like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower the law. You know, I kind of set the bar a little high, and so we're going to kind of lower that standard there to make it a little bit more achievable for humans, as long as they do some things that look good, as long as they are generous and do foster care, then, then we're just going to lower that standard, even if they're not truly righteous. But that's not what God does. He can't do that. He doesn't change the rules, but Michael Barrett says, he obeys the rules in our place and suffers the consequence of our disobedience. So that's what Jesus says. He obeys the rules in our place and suffers the consequence of our disobedience. And that is the grounds of our justification. Jesus' obedience in our place and then him taking our punishment. So two things were, uh, and, and Barrett says, were necessary for God to be just in saving sinners. The demands of the law had to be completely obeyed and the penalty of the law to, comp to be completely paid. So the demands of the law had to be completely obeyed, and the penalty of the broken law to be completely paid. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law. 
And uh, Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, talks about uh, how Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. That didn't mean he became more obedient, but even as he, he suffered, his suffering was tested. And, and he demonstrated again and again a perfect obedience of being made perfect. Not that he wasn't perfect and had to become perfect, but that he showed his perfection. He was tested as perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all, to all who obey him. Christ lived the righteous life that God required uh, of, of, of mankind, is what Michael Barrett said. In uh, Romans 5, 19, it says, For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That is Adam. By the one man's sin, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, that is Christ's obedience on the cross, but it's not only that obedience on the cross. We need righteousness. And where is this righteousness going to come from? Philippians 3, 9 says, and be found in him, not having, a, be found in Christ. And what, it means, what does it mean to be in Christ? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that righteousness comes from Christ. Um, that's good. Seeing what I can skip here, um, yeah. So, so when um, when God saves us a, 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 a sinner, He, because of Christ's perfect obedience, determines He He sees that the law has been completely kept by by us, and that is because of Christ's perfect His 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 perfect obedience. So that is how God can declare us righteous because of Jesus' perfect obedience. We needed righteousness from God. It didn't come from ourselves, but there was still penalty that needed to, to be paid. And that penalty is so um, where it is described as Christ's active obedience. His active obedience was him perfectly keeping keeping the law. We still needed our punishment paid, and that is described as called passive obedience. And it doesn't mean that Jesus was passive there. He was just taking our punishment. Uh, that wasn't passive obedience. That was Jesus. Um, that that word passive means suffering. Uh, it was Jesus's suffering obedience. So his suffering obedience took the punishment for our sins. His active obedience was, was, was his perfect keeping of the law. Um, so Jesus had no sin to pay for. His death was not earned, right? He didn't deserve death. It was for us. I've got many verses there. Um, they are wonderful to, to read together because you see um, it's just so clear that his death was for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. I'll just read through some of these quickly. Christ died for our sins. First. Uh, Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah 53.6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse that we deserve, by becoming a curse for us. Romans 5.6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the, 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 the... the ungodly. One of the greatest verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. Um, So because of Jesus's perfect obedience, and because of Jesus's taking the punishment of sinners, 
Michael Barrett writes, legally, God deals with believers in terms of Christ's righteousness. 100%, the verdict is you have totally obeyed me. And legally, God dealt with Christ in terms of our sins. So, when he was taking the place of sinners, what would the legal verdict be? You've totally disobeyed me. Right? That's what it means for Christ to have our sins imputed to him. And then we know that he did this willingly. We know that an eternity would not would never be enough for us to pay for our sins against an infinite God. So that's the grounds for our justification. It's Jesus' perfect obedience being imputed to us and our sin being imputed to Christ when he took the punishment for our sins. So there are some results of justification that follow, and they, they parallel that. We're both pardoned from guilt and we're positioned in Christ. We're pardoned from guilt, we are forgiven, and we are positioned, positioned in Christ. So because we have been pardoned from, from guilt, um, so, though, so those are the two great blessings that follow, that our sins are forgiven, and then we are accepted before God as righteous. God sees believers the same way he sees Christ, as legally perfect and as innocent. And in, in, in the 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we see some of this counting language, some of this imputing language. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says that uh, that is in Christ, because of our union with Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the message that you've been entrusted with, right? No one is going to get saved without this gospel being heard and believed by them. But the phrase that we're, 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 we're going to look at is that previous one, not counting their trespasses against them. So he doesn't impute our sins to us. He doesn't count them. He doesn't consider them to be our sins anymore. He doesn't count. He doesn't take them into account when he deals with us. He doesn't judge us for our sins. Now, this isn't talking about our commendation as, as Christians when he says, what have you done with the new life in Christ that I've given you? But this is about our, 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 our judgment before him. We will not be condemned for our sins. Um, there's AOA, and here's a quote, that God does not consider, take into account, or factor in their sins when dealing with them. Just think about that. In dealing with you in Christ, because of God's forgiveness, he doesn't take into account your sins. He doesn't deal with you on account of your sins. This idea is, almost, is also in Romans 4, 6 through 8. Now, this is really neat. Uh, look what Romans 4, 6 says, and if you have your Bibles, you, uh, you can turn there. I think it'd be easier to follow along. Romans 4, 6 through 8. And Paul says, Just as David, and he's going to quote from Psalm 32, which is written by David, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. 
pay. If you read verses 7 and 8, you know what 7 and 8 are about. They're about sins being forgiven, about sins being covered, about not having your sins counted to you. Well, verse 6 explains how God does this. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So here we see both sides together. That for God not to count our sins against us, for God not to, in a sense, reckon our sins, he's doing the accounting and saying, no, no, they don't have any sins. When I, when I declare them not guilty, they have zero sins. How does that happen? Well, verse 6 tells us. The blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. The only way that we are going to have our sins forgiven if he counts righteousness to you apart from works. So, so it's not an, just enough to be zeroed out, right? It's not just like, like when you're saved, you get a fresh start. You're back to zero, and now you got to make something of this new lease on life, right? The only way we're going to have our sins forgiven is to have righteousness counted to you. So we, we are both pardoned from guilt, and we're going to see that, 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 that that's also uh, is, is because of our position in Christ. So there's this connection between this imputation or this accounting of righteousness and this non-imputation, this not counting of sin. And all this is because of God's justness. Um, this is pretty cool. And, 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 and another quote from Michael Barrett, if there is no guilt, there can be no condemnation and no penalty. This is what justice is all about. And saying, if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, that is true of you. There can be no guilt. Because there's, and because there's no guilt, if your sins have been imputed to Christ and his righteousness imputed to you, the good news is there's no condemnation and there's no penalty because God is just. So we were scared of his justice when we got started, and now we can rejoice in his justice. Barrett says, we cannot again be legally judged or, or, uh, or condemned because the guilt demanding our punishment was imputed to Christ. So it legally can't happen. God cannot condemn you if you are in Christ. He wouldn't want to, but he couldn't. He wouldn't be just. He's not going to say, wait, but they've, but they've also done this. No, that was imputed to Christ. And what about next year? You're like, well, I've, I've, there's been a lot of sinning. I've, I mean, I've been a Christian, I think, 43 or 40, yeah, 42 years. That's a lot of sin. All of that sin, he can't condemn me for because he's just. Because Christ took that. And me saying that, that is what saving faith is. Believing that, he took my sin. So because we are pardoned from guilt, that follows what justification is, we are also uh, positioned in Christ. So forgiveness removes our guilt, but yet God still requires righteousness of us, right? It's not just to say it's not enough to not declare him, to, to declare him not guilty. He also, we also must be righteous. Isaiah 61.10 has a great phrase. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. And then as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, God has covered us with robes of righteousness in Christ. It's an alien righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's not our beauty. It's Christ's beautiful obedience. 
Uh, and we already looked at that in Romans 4, 6, that it's the one that to whom God counts righteousness apart from a works. A beautiful picture of this is, is in Zechariah 3, verses 3 and 4. And it is a, uh, it's Zechariah's vision of the high priest. And that high priest was named Joshua. And it's not chance that uh, Joshua is the same Jewish name as the uh, Greek name Jesus. Um, but a picture of Joshua, the high priest, he has a vision. And, and, and he sees Joshua standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And that picture of this high priest clothed in filthy garments, if you've come to the Bible reading project, which I would encourage you to, you know that the priests were supposed to look really good. They had special garments when they entered into God's presence. Well, this uh, priest was an anomaly, and he was an impossibility. He was covered in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. That's a beautiful picture, right? It wouldn't have been enough to take the uh, priest robes away and to leave him naked, right? He needed to have a covering. He needed cleanness. He needed righteousness. And that is, in that beautiful picture there, what God does. Um, oh, it's beautiful. Here's another quote from, from Michael Barrett. There's a lot of quotes here, and, and um, it is great. So, so, so go ahead and buy it and read it. But uh, uh, it says, uh, by his life, oh, this is beautiful. By his life, our precious Lord Jesus wove for us that garment of salvation, that robe of righteousness. Beautiful, right? With his precious, um, by his life, our precious Lord Jesus wove for us the garment of, 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 of salvation, that robe of righteousness. That's part of the beauty of Jesus um, passing every temptation he went through. It's, it's not just about proving he could be the sacrifice. It's also so that his righteousness could be uh, accounted to, 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 to our account. So God sees us as having obeyed perfectly and free from any penalty. Now, here's a, a neat quote from uh, Jerry Bridges. Um, now you have a ledger, saint, believer in Christ one's, that no longer catalogs your sin, but instead bears only the record of 33 years of absolutely perfect righteousness. How can God do this? How can a just God completely wipe sin off your ledger and replace it with perfect righteousness of Christ? Because we are in Christ. He, as a representative, stands justly charged with our sin and pays its penalty through his death. Because he's a representative, God can justly credit his perfection to us. Now, we talked about this, this, this earlier. When God justifies us, it doesn't mean that he makes us righteous. And, uh, and, and, and Roman Catholics use the phrase, he infuses righteousness to us. He, he, he doesn't just kind of go into our DNA and put righteous DNA there so that if we do the right things, righteousness is going to come out. Now, he does sanctify us. And we're going to talk about this. That's just not what justify means. Justify doesn't mean that he, that he makes you righteous and then you're going to have to do something with that righteousness. He does make us new creatures, and we're going to learn about that. It's wonderful. It's just not what justification means. It's about how God deals with you. And does he deal with you as a lawbreaker or as a perfect law keeper? That question, in a sense, may determine whether you know Christ. 
right? That, that, or it may just be a way you need to grow in your understanding of Christ as I've been under, growing in that my whole life because I naturally think that he deals with me as a lawbreaker. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily to believe that he deals with you as a perfect law keeper. There is so much joy in obedience when you know you are a perfect law keeper legally before him rather than trying to make up for your law-breaking status. But that is what saving faith is. It, it really is. To, to, to say, I'm going to go to Christ, welcomes me to him. And he says I can come to him, and I can have my sins forgiven, and I can have his righteousness. So I'm going to cast myself totally, completely on him so that I can go from lawbreaker to having the status of, of, of lawkeeper. Because this uh, series is, is, is called In Him, here's a, a neat quote by, 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 by a systematic theologian named Robert Raymond. And systematic theology is just when you take all the stuff the Bible says in a certain doctrine and you say, how does this all fit together? So Robert Raymond writes, The doctrine of justification, which is today's topic, means that in God's sight, the ungodly man, now in Christ, has perfectly kept the moral law of God. Which also means, in turn, that in Christ, he has perfectly loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself, in Christ. It means that the Christian's righteousness before God is in heaven at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ and not in earth within you, right? So my righteousness is not in me, it is in Christ at the right hand of God now. Um, here's a uh, uh, neat way to think about this. And, 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 and Robert Raymond is going to kind of like bring us into the future as he thinks about the final judgment when... Okay, so, so, that, so that's just kind of like, like setting up the scene. By God's act of justifying the sinner through faith in Christ... The sinner, as it were, has been brought before the time, right? We, we've kind of like, like, like time jumped or time traveled, it's called. Yes, so we time travel to the final judgment, and it's already, you've already passed successfully through it. You've been acquitted of any and all charges brought against you, right? So in Christ, you are in heaven already, right, for eternity, right? There's the, you don't have to fear judgment anymore. Now, there is an, an, an evaluation of how we use the resources God has given us. There are rewards that follow. But you're there. You're in heaven. If you are in Christ, there is no fear. Because you're, you're, you've all, you've all, you're already in Christ. Really, be, in Christ, God has as much chance of condemning Jesus to hell as you. In Christ. If you are in Christ, right? And would he condemn Jesus to hell? Of course not. He's perfectly obeyed. Right? He already took our wrath. This is why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do we get this, this, this justification? Faith is God's means for us to get to Christ. And I read it, and, and, and it may have been Spurgeon. God is offering justification to you 
and he gives you the cup so that you can get justification, right? So if, 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 if Christ is the fountain and justification is offered to you, he gives you the cup to drink from this fountain. And what is that cup? Faith. Faith is the instrument through which we are justified. Faith is the means by which we are united to Christ. There are a billion verses that talk about faith being how we are justified. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We are justified by faith. Romans 4.5, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 3.24, in order that we might be justified by faith. Philippians 3.9, and we already read this, not, uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Galatians 2.16, not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. So what faith does, so faith unites you to Christ, but it's not the quality of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith, right? It is not how, how good your faith is. Do you have 100% faith? Do you have 90% faith? Do you have 1% faith? If you have faith to pick up that water and say, I need Christ or I die, right? Um, 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 all you need is Christ. So we have to be careful. At times, uh, some of our more introspective members, I'm one of them, can think, well, well, is this faith good enough? Well, it's not about me. It's about Christ and Christ being the object of our faith. Um, And here's a quote. Saving faith is saving faith because its object is Christ. The exercise of saving faith will never be perfect. But the object of saving faith is, your faith is not going to be perfect, right? That would be incredible for for God to say, well, um, the way that I'm going to save you is by you having perfect faith. You know, you have no ability to do anything perfect. You've broken all of my laws, right? You shattered them. You're you're a lawbreaker. But if you get really perfect faith, if you can do 100% faith, then I'll let you have Christ. Well, that's crazy. He knows what we're like. Right? It's not about the quality of our faith. It's about the object of our faith. Now, this is a, 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 a cool quote by, by, by Michael Barrett. All saving faith is of equal worth. Right? If you are in Christ, your faith is as good as every other person here who is in Christ. Right? Saving faith, um, yeah, uh, uh, every justified sinner has exactly the same standing and acceptance before God Every believer is equally justified, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, right? Your faith isn't better than anyone else's faith if it connects you with Christ. I find that that, 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 that incredibly encouraging. Um, Saving faith, and here's another quote, sets aside all effort. So so here's here's what saving faith is. Sets aside all effort. I'm not going to try to prove myself to not be worthy of judgment. I'm not going to try to make up for what I've already done. Sets aside all effort. Lays hold of Christ and trusts God to keep his word that he that he that justify, uh, oh, that he, that God is the one that justify him who believes in Jesus. And that's what saving faith does. I believe that God justifies the ungodly. 
I am very ungodly. God is willing to justify me. And if that is you, you are able to go to Christ to be justified. So if you are here this morning and say, I know the law has condemned me. I know that I have bunches of sin and that I deserve eternity away. The invitation is to you to go to Jesus to be justified because that's what God does. He loves doing that. And if you go and lay hold to Christ, you will be forgiven and given Christ's righteousness. I had all kinds of, I was going to talk for, we're going to have 15 minutes at the end to talk about how good justification is. Um, But maybe I should just send out these uh, questions to you. It'd be great. Meet someone, meet with someone this week and ask them, um, how would you be different if you believe justification more? How would you be different if you believed justification more? Um, I mentioned when I started, I've quoted some catechisms there. I think it's so cool to read that exactly what we talked about this morning has been uh, uh, talked about and put into well, well, well worded for five and six hundred years. And uh, so have some fun reading through those. If there's some phrases there that you're kind of chewing on, um, I didn't explain them. So send me an email. I would, I would, I would love to talk about it. And there's a, a neat hymn at the back for you to, for you to meditate on. Um, I would encourage uh, junior hires, High schoolers, Margo, my daughter, hi, sweetie, um, to, 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 to grab these notes and to spend some time with, 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 with these verses, too. Um, if I can do anything to be helpful to you, I would love to. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. Oh, Father, we love um, that you are God and that you are uh, perfect in your knowledge. We know that you know perfectly what is in your word, and that um, to the extent that our translations reflect what you originally wrote, it does very well, um, Lord, that, that, that your word is perfect and it's true. So I thank you, Father, that we can look at all these verses about justification and about faith and about righteousness and judgment and you being a God who imputes, a God who counts, Lord, and we can uh, try to bring all of these verses together And Lord, it really is for our joy and for your glory. So Father, I pray that we would uh, leave here with more confidence, um, with maybe some some new thoughts, um, with nothing new really, Lord, but with a new understanding um, that, that, that in Christ you would never condemn us and that without Christ, apart from Christ, we had nothing but, but, but condemnation. Father, I pray that you would help uh, the saints to uh, cling to this. I pray, Father, that they wouldn't fall back to clinging to any of their own efforts um, or what they haven't haven't done, that they would keep clinging to, to your Son in faith and that that would bring them so much joy and such freedom, Lord, such freedom to, to, to not fear man and such freedom to, 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 to share the gospel and such freedom to, to, to open their Bibles tomorrow morning and such freedom to, to pray all day long. Uh, God, may they have so much joy. And uh, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.